Good morning. It's always a joy to be with you. Thanks for having me again. I'm sure you're getting tired of, of my face, so I'm glad that y'all are having a... Um, I'm excited for you all and the pastoral search and everything that's happening, so I'll continue to be praying for um, you all in that process. Um, if we haven't met, uh, I'd love to meet you. My name is Jacob Lee. Um, I am a uh, pastor with Reform University Fellowship at the College of Charleston um, over there on the peninsula, and um, it's my joy to get to kind of be y'all's representative there to serve college students and to point them to Jesus. Um, this semester um, with RUF, we have kind of instituted an, instituted a new little slogan that we've been kind of saying, a purpose statement, slogan, motto, whatever you want to call it. And uh, what we have been saying is that we are seeking to be a place where the convinced and unconvinced can explore the claims of Jesus and can enter into his story together. Um, so uh, just to give you a window into, the, into what we're doing on campus, we're hoping to be a place where both Christians and non-Christians, churched and unchurched, can come uh, where they're welcome. Both of those groups are welcome. Uh, and we kind of tell them that we're going to be looking at what Jesus tells us, um, what he claims to be, who he claims to be, what he claims to reveal, um, and that's found in his word. And then uh, it's our hope that as students come and are involved, as they're welcomed, that they begin to make Jesus's story, the story of the Bible, uh, the good word, their own story, and that as they do that, they get to enter into what we are doing together as a group. Um, so that's just kind of a picture of what we're doing on campus. Um, would love to share more with you if you're interested in hearing more. Uh, this morning, we are going to be in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. So this is kind of in the second half of your Bibles, if you're not familiar um, uh, kind of turn to the, yeah, to the right, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the Gospels. So once you're there, um, uh, it should be pretty easy to find. Um, so John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31, it says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world, and the wor and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Uh, This is God's word. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me for the teaching of it? Heavenly Father, we need uh, to know you more. Lord, that's uh, likely why many of us are here in this room. We want to know you more. We want to be in relationship with you. And part of relationship with you looks like knowing your spirit. And so we pray this morning that you would illuminate to us um, what you have in this text for us, um, that you would give us your spirit, that you would show us what it means um, to know your spirit, to believe in the spirit, um, and to let the spirit enter our lives and change us. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. So uh, the spirit is probably one of the more controversial topics in the church. Um, There are kind of lots of disagreements in the church about what the Spirit does, how the Spirit works, what the Spirit does and doesn't do. Uh, Presbyterians, which Eastbridge, many of you know, is a Presbyterian church. So uh, we kind of are notoriously maybe light on the Spirit. We don't talk about the Spirit a lot. Um, And so I would imagine other, other denominations would kind of think that we uh, maybe don't even believe in the Spirit, don't talk about the Spirit enough. Um, and I think as we think about the question of the Spirit, as we think about kind of these controversial, quote-unquote, controversial topics in the church, it's really important for us to kind of have our head on straight, right? There are, there are um, kind of primary and secondary and tertiary and, I don't know, quaternary issues, right, in the church. Uh, the primary ones are are kind of what we're going through in RUF this semester. We're talking about the Apostles' Creed. What does it mean to be a Christian? Um, and those are kind of the primary issues that we need to, that we need to hold fast to. Uh, but then there are a lot of secondary issues. And I would probably say that a lot of the questions about the Spirit are probably secondary, maybe even tertiary issues. Um, they're important. We need to make sure we have our, um, our beliefs straight about them. But I don't think they should necessarily be the cause of division among the church. Um, so I'll just, I'll just say that to say that I'm not going to try to answer all the questions that uh, you might have about the Spirit, that anyone else out there might have about the Spirit. Um, and I don't know that we will necessarily get a full answer um, to all those questions. It's probably why they're so debated. Um, but this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage, a very specific passage, a very specific instance uh, in which Jesus was in this room with his disciples, the upper room, um, and he is teaching them just before uh, as, as we know, he was going to go to the cross um, after this. Um, but he gives his disciples, and consequently us, uh, very important things to know about the Spirit. Um, it's one of the key passages that talks about the Spirit. Um, because the disciples, at this time in their life, in the story, um, they don't fully understand it yet, but they are about to be deprived of their leader. They're about to be deprived of their friend, their teacher, their healer, Jesus. Um, And he knew that as he was leaving that these men and and women were going to need guidance, that they would need help. 
uh, that they would need comfort. Um, and so Jesus sent the Spirit to do that for them and for us. So this morning we are going to uh, have two points, which again, you're tired of my face, so you're probably tired of my two points, but I love two-point sermons. So uh, the Spirit is with us, and the Spirit gives us Jesus. The Spirit is with us, and the Spirit gives us Jesus. So first, the Spirit is with us. Um, part of what that means is that the Spirit, part of what we're going to find in this text, the Spirit is a person. Um, the pronouns that are used to describe the Spirit in this passage, if you're kind of are reading carefully, you can see that the pronouns are a he, right? It doesn't say it. It doesn't say it will do this. It says he will do that, which means that the, the Spirit is a person. Um, a couple things that mean that kind of implications of that for us is the Spirit is not this force, right? Like I think sometimes we talk about the Spirit as if it's this force that we kind of like can tap into um, and kind of like, you know, mold and use to our own purposes or we have our spirit, our kind of spirits molded to the purpose. But rather the Spirit is a person and all that kind of comes with that. We know people, you are people. You know that being a person um, has implications for the Spirit. But the Spirit is also not a mascot. Oftentimes we treat the Spirit as a mascot, uh, kind of a mascot that we get to, or maybe a puppet, that we get to kind of dictate what the Spirit does and who they are to kind of control the Spirit. Um, but that's not the case. The Spirit is who He is, and we have to deal with Him as He is, and not as we kind of think He should be or wish that He was. Um, but the Spirit is a person, and so the Spirit dictates who the Spirit is. Um, so who is the Spirit? Uh, the verse here, in, uh, if you look with me in verse 16, it talks about this, that um, Jesus is going to give us another helper. That's the translation that um, the people who translated this decided to go with. Um, but there's a little footnote. There's lots of different other translations. If you are reading a different Bible than maybe the ESV, the different translation, uh, you probably have heard of other words that have been used kind of besides helper. So I'm going to kind of break down this term. Um, so the, the word is, the Greek word is parakaleo, um, or paraklete is kind of the conjugation here. And uh, what that literally means is the one who is called alongside, the one who is called alongside. But that doesn't really kind of, you know, flow very well. So they, they've, uh, translators have attempted to find words that kind of uh, capture that meaning. Uh, some have said that he's the encourager. Uh, <clears throat> one translation calls uh, it, uh, translates it as friend. Um, there are other ones, comforter, helper, as we see in our text here, counselor, advocate. Um, and the word parakaleo means to call, to call alongside, hence to encourage or exhort. Um, some have kind of thought that it, a good way of translating it is like as a legal assistant, someone who kind of, who kind of comes alongside you in a process and he helps advocate for you. Um, but a lot, of these, a lot of these words, I think, have a lot of kind of problems, especially in kind of our modern language today. Because if you say counselor, then that kind of brings in uh, other kind of images, right? Like maybe a marriage counselor or even a camp counselor. And that's not really, it doesn't really capture who the spirit is. Uh, comforter is another word that people have used, and, and that doesn't really work either because the Holy Spirit is not a quilt that you pull over yourself when you're sleeping at night. 
So my best kind of stab at it after doing some research is a true friend. I think that's a good way of translating it because a friend, as you all know, probably hopefully all of you have friends, a friend helps you, comforts you, counsels you, does kind of all those things, but not only a friend, but a true friend. And a true friend doesn't just give you kind of the soft aspects, you know, building you up, uh, comforting you, kind of telling you what you want to hear. But um, a true friend also includes kind of the hard aspects of friendship, right? A true friend isn't a yes man. Uh, They encourage and exhort you. They kind of correct you when you're going down a wrong path. A true friend will shoot you straight. They won't pull their punches. So I think true friend is helpful. The next kind of thing I'll say is that uh, someone uh, said that a good way of translating this is as a field uh, general, which I think is really helpful too. So maybe two kind of dual definitions of a true friend and a field general. A field general, uh, there's probably many people out there who know more about the military than I do, but a field general from what I read is someone who stands alongside you and urges you on to battle and victory. So they're kind of going with you to battle. They don't kind of just... Uh, kind of advise you and then send you off. They're there with you. And I think that's really helpful. Um, So the Spirit's presence. If you look with me in verse 17, um, we can see what it tells us about the Spirit's presence. Um, It says that the Spirit is going to dwell with us and in us at the end of the verse. Um, So don't, I'm about to say something kind of maybe controversial. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, Jesus is amazing. We need Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus is, you know, all, everything, everything to us. Um, and in, in, John, in John chapter 1, we hear about Jesus, that he's going to take on flesh, right? That he took on flesh, that he dwelt among us. He moved in the neighborhood. It's amazing that Jesus uh, took on flesh, incarnated, and was with us. Um, but something that's kind of inherently hard about that is that Jesus, his body, is not with us anymore, Right? If you know the story of the Bible, you know that Jesus, uh, he was crucified, he uh, died, but then he rose again, right? He appeared to his disciples, but then Jesus ascended. He ascended to heaven. So Jesus' body right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is not with us in the flesh. Um, So Jesus knew that. He knew that he was going to do that. And so he gave us one who would not leave us. He gave us one who can be with all of us wherever we are, not just kind of in one place in, you know, modern day Palestine, but uh, one who could be with us all, the whole, all Christians at all, throughout all time, through thousands of years. So I think it's really good news that the spirit, Jesus gives us the spirit, right? The spirit, instead of Jesus, now has moved into the neighborhood. And the word here and at the bottom of, of verse 17 is the same word, that he dwells with us. He kind of has moved into the neighborhood. The Spirit is with us in the way that Jesus was, was with us. He lives with us, and he actually lives in us. Um, and I think that God's provision of this one is a great kindness. Um, I didn't ask my son's permission to talk about him, but hopefully he will forgive me. Um, so my son, uh, Hewitt, who's over there, um, he... He has been playing t-ball. He loves t-ball. And, um, but part of what we've learned through that experience is that um, new things can be really scary. Um, the first time he went, he actually, he didn't make it onto the field. He had a hard time kind of being convinced to go on the field for practice. Um, and then, uh, you know, 
throughout that process, we've learned that he kind of is just like a little nervous about what do I do with my hands? Where do I stand? You know, what do I do with my feet? Like, what, what's the goal of what we're doing here? Um, and so it, take, it took a really good coach. Um, who, he had a really good coach this past semester, Coach Trevor. Um, and in T-ball, the coach is literally on the field with you, kind of like moving your body, like, here's what you do. And uh, he, he would, the coach would, when Hewitt was going up to bat, the coach would draw two little circles in the ground, and he would be like, all right, you put your front foot here and your back foot here. And then he would kind of fix his hands on the bat, <clears throat> and then, you know, to play ball, tell him to swing. Um, and so the coach would stand with the players on the field. He would help them and encourage them in the task that they had at hand. And it's once that Hewitt and the other players too, it's not just Hewitt, got to understand the game. They got to know the coach. They got to feel confident that the coach was kind of with them, that he was supporting them, that he was going to show them how to uh, kind of play effectively and with confidence. And it was at that point that Hewitt began to love T-ball. He began to love doing it. He began to feel confident. And he would, um, you know, go and stand uh, exactly where the coach told him, to, told him to stand in the ready position. And the same, I think, is true for us. We need to know that we have someone who's with us, that we have someone who's walking with us, who's standing with us on the field of life. And it's only then that we can actually do the work that we have ahead of us, um, the work that is set before us by um, our Father. The first verse of this passage says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Uh, speaking for myself, I'd imagine maybe some of you have a similar experience. That feels like a big task. Keep my commandments. We know that that's not as easy as it sounds, right? Um, throughout our lives, we go about trying to keep God's commandments, and it's a difficult, onerous task. It can feel like a heavy burden. Um, it can feel like we have no idea where to stand, right? What do we do with our hands? What do we do with our feet? Kind of what's the goal of what we're doing? How do we do it? But if we have the spirit, we can have confidence in the task at hand. We can go into the work in front of us knowing that we aren't alone, that the spirit is with us. The spirit is with us. So that was the spirit uh, being with us. The spirit is with us. Now the spirit gives us Jesus. Um, in verse 16, uh, if you'll notice, uh, maybe there are some critical readers out there. You already kind of saw this. Um, Jesus says that he is going to send another helper, another friend, another field general. So uh, what is the implication of that, right? That there was already a first helper. Um, if there's going to be another helper, there had to have been a first helper. So who was the first helper? Um, you all kind of were in Sunday school, so you know the Sunday school answer, Right? It's Jesus. Jesus was the first helper. Uh, he was the first friend. Uh, and I think that this has a, another really important implication for us, that the Spirit does what Jesus does. He is a helper in the mold of Jesus. He does what Jesus does. Um, and secondly, not only is, this, is the Spirit another helper like Jesus, um, in verse 26, you can see that the Spirit is sent by the Father in Jesus' name. The Spirit is sent in Jesus' name. Um, earlier on in this, in this gospel, in, in John chapter 5, it clearly says to us that the Son does what the Father does. And so if the Spirit is sent in Jesus' name and the Son does what the Father does, it shows us that the three are unified, that they carry out one will. 
Um, they all act together. The Father, Son, and Spirit all act together. They're not in conflict with each other. They don't kind of have their own kind of, <clears throat> pardon me, their own missions or kind of hobby horses that they do, but they act as one. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit act as one. Um, uh, if you're a parent out there, maybe you can relate to this. Um, Allison and I, with, with our kids, when we're at our best, and I will not say we're always at our best, but when we're at our best, we speak with one voice, right? Um, we don't contradict each other. Uh, our kids will often, you know, ask me something, and then I hear them, like, you know, their little footsteps going up the stairs, and they're like, Mommy, can I? And, and you know, when we're at our best, she'll be like, well, what did your father say? Or, um, you know, or she'll just have the same answer because we kind of have the same answer. Um, but when we're at our best, uh, we, the kind of platonic ideal of us as parents we speak with one voice. It's probably true for, for all you parents out there. You try to speak with one voice. Um, likewise, the Trinity speaks with one voice, right? They're unified. They're not uh, at cross purposes with each other. But this, the, you, you probably all got this as well. This, the uh, Trinity have different roles. So they speak with one voice, but they have different roles. Again, in our marriage, uh, we each have our own roles, right? So my wife in the mornings, packs the lunches for the kids, and I empty the, empty the dishwasher. Uh, my wife will kind of take over planning the play dates with my kids, and I kind of plan, you know, their screen time, what they're going to be watching that week. Um, we have different roles, right? The list goes on and on. We have, we have one voice, but we also have different roles. So what is the Spirit's role? The Spirit has a particular role. What is it? Um, our passage tells us that the Spirit's particular role um, in verse, verse 26, where we are, the Spirit's particular role is as a teacher, which is really surprising to me and maybe surprising to you. If I, had, if I took a poll when you came in the door this morning and said, what's the Spirit's role? Um, I would be surprised if many of us said teacher. But this, this passage tells us the Spirit's role is as a teacher. So uh, it, it's kind of confusing what's going on there, so let's kind of unpack it a little bit. Um, it says that the Spirit is going to teach us all things. So what does that mean? What does that mean that the Spirit's going to teach us all things? Does that mean that the Spirit is going to kind of download into our brains like a copy of Wikipedia that we can have all the knowledge in the world? I would imagine probably not. Um, I don't think that, that hasn't been my experience with the Spirit up to this point. Um, I think what it means is more existential, that the Spirit is going to teach us everything we need to know to exist as a Christian in this world. It's kind of specific. The Spirit is going to teach us what we need to know to be a Christian in this world. So how does the Spirit do this? Um, right? He, we, I haven't ever attended a lecture hosted by the Spirit on what it means to be a Christian. I don't know if any of you have. I'd love to hear about it if you have. Um, but this, the passage is actually going to tell us what that means. So there's two clauses. The Spirit is going to teach us all things, and then it's going to bring to, our, to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And this is Jesus talking. So the way the Spirit teaches us all things that we need to know to be a Christian is through what Jesus taught us. Um, and where do we find what Jesus taught us? In his word. Uh, the word is where we find how the Spirit teaches us all things that we need to know to be a Christian. Um, the second everything, it says all things and then all things. 
the second all things that Jesus has taught us uh, is what was called exegetical, which means that it explains the first thing. So when we try to understand what the first all things means, we can look at the second all things and we can see, oh, he's talking about all the things that Jesus has taught us. Uh, what this means for us is that we shouldn't expect the Spirit to teach us something that Jesus has not already taught us or done. The Spirit's job, his role, is to give us Jesus. One of my favorite restaurants, uh, one of my favorite fast food restaurants um, is just down the street from here. It's called Raising Cane's. Hopefully you all have sampled uh, some Raising Cane's food. Uh, it's delicious. Uh, but if, you, if you're going to Raising Cane's, and you're looking for anything other than chicken fingers, you're going to be disappointed. Because all that Raising Cane's does is chicken fingers, right? Don't expect to go there and find a burger. Don't expect to go there and find, I don't know, something else, barbecue. What they do is chicken fingers, and they do it really well. But Raising Cane's gives us chicken fingers. Uh, There are other restaurants out there. um, Nothing against a restaurant by the name of Cheesecake Factory, but their menu is certainly not singularly focused, right? It's like a book. You, you, you get that menu and it's like an encyclopedia of all the food that has ever existed. Um, and uh, Raising Cane's is not like that. Raising Cane's gives you one thing. It gives you chicken fingers and it does it well. Um, and this is the same thing about the Spirit. Um, the Spirit gives us Jesus. That is what they do. That is what the Spirit does. That is what he does is give us Jesus. Um, so maybe you're asking, all right, this is great to know. The Spirit is with us. The Spirit gives us Jesus. But what does it look like for me practically to kind of let the Spirit work in my life, in my life, um, to be open to him kind of giving me Jesus? I've got a couple different ideas for you. Um, what does it look like? The first thing uh, to, to be open to the Spirit giving us Jesus is to read your Bibles, because where do we find what Jesus teaches us, right? We find it in his word revealed to us. Throughout the scriptures, the spirit is the one who inspires the, the word and gives us the word of the Bible. The spirit is the one who inspires and gives us the Bible. So uh, read your Bibles. I told, just told you to read your Bibles. Um, I know you've probably, if you've been around the church, you've heard that a lot. Uh, what does it look like? Especially... Um, maybe for kind of the younger people in the congregation who haven't been doing this their whole life, maybe your kid, what does it look like to read the Bible practically? Uh, my wife and I have a good friend who lives in the low country and um, she kind of has an Instagram presence. She talks about what it looks like to be faithful as a mom. And one of her big things is three to five verses at a time. Because as a mom, right, her life is kind of pulled in a million different directions. She's got the kids, she's got the play dates, she's got school, she's got all the things she's thinking through, dinner, um, and cleaning the house, right, a million different things. Uh, but she finds that she can always have time to sit down and read three to five verses. And I think that's really helpful for us. Uh, for those of you who feel like, you know, you have a TikTok brain and you can't uh, focus on something for very long, three to five verses is kind of a perfect little amount that you can digest and take in. So uh, that's just a plug for three to five verses at a time. If you're out there and you're like, how do I read my Bible? Three to five verses at a time. You don't have to... Um, there's this saying, right? How do you eat, a, eat an elephant, right? You eat it one bite at a time. Three to five verses at a time. So read your Bibles, pray. Um, this is another vital place where the Spirit meets us and where he works. And I think it's amazing that when we pray, uh, when we pray to our God, by some kind of mysterious function, uh, it's almost as if we're entered into the unity of the Trinity. 
um, as we pray, we get to participate in kind of a small way in what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit do with each other. Um, and again, there's a number of amazing resources out there um, to help you with prayer. Um, I'd love to talk with you if you're like, how do I pray? It's always been a struggle for me. How do I pray more and how do I pray effectively? Um, there's some great resources out there. Um, this semester, we've been doing a morning prayer on campus and we've been going through a couple different resources that I'd love to recommend to you. They're kind of more, um, they're kind of set prayers. So you don't have to feel like you have to um, come up with something all on your own. You can kind of sit and read these prayers that have been uh, put before you and kind of let your prayers be shaped by them. So I'd love to talk with you if you're interested in, in some of those resources. So read your Bibles, pray. And then I think uh, fundamentally, we need to be open to being challenged. We need to be open to being challenged. Um, often, I think that we can kind of hear what we want to hear, right? Uh, and I think that we need to be open to listen to the Spirit's challenge, to the way that God's Word especially is challenging us. Often when I'm listening to a sermon um, and they're kind of getting into the application part of the, uh, of, the, of, the tech, of the sermon, my first reaction can be to be listening for things uh, that allow me to turn my brain off, to, to kind of turn my ears off, right? Um, okay, he's talking about this thing. I, that doesn't apply to me, right? So I don't have to listen to what he's saying. Um, maybe that's true for some of you out there. Um, but I think uh, our first reaction needs to be, how can we listen and look for application in our own lives? So a couple of examples. Uh, maybe, you know, the preacher's talking about laziness. And you're like, oh, I don't really struggle with laziness. I don't skip work. I don't, you know, fish, I don't uh, not finish my projects. Uh, but what are other ways in your life that you might see laziness at work? Maybe the preacher's talking about addictions and you say, oh, I don't really struggle with an addiction necessarily. Um, but what are other ways in your life that you're kind of prone to this addictive behavior? Maybe you toe the line on you know, having that extra, extra beverage at, in the evening, having that extra kind of order of fries at Raising Cane's. Um, what are the ways that you kind of toe the line? Um, the ways that you maybe don't have an addiction, but you kind of have that, um, your, that bent in your life. Right, the, maybe the, te- the preacher's talking about infidelity and you're like, okay, I don't struggle with you know, cheating on my spouse um, with my actions, but what are ways that, other ways that you cheat on your spouse? What are other ways that you maybe let your eyes linger too long on that person walking down the street or on your television? Because this is actually in line with how Jesus talks about the law in the Sermon on the Mount, right? He's, he kind of doubles down on the law. Um, the Pharisees were all about keeping the law and he's like, well, uh, you think that's the standard, I'm gonna give you an even, even harder standard to show you that the heart of the law is not about kind of turning your brain off and saying, that doesn't apply to me, I'm keeping that law. Um, the Spirit gives us a great um, example, sorry, the Spirit gives us Jesus. And so this is a great example of how the Spirit can give us Jesus, um, the way that he thinks about the law. So as I close, um, there's a beautiful old hymn that, uh, that contains in it the word paraclete. It was the first time I'd ever heard that, that word. Um, we used to sing it when I was in Virginia. And one of the choruses says this. It pleads this of the Spirit. It says, convince us of our sin, then lead to Jesus's blood, and to our wondering view reveal the secret love of God. This is our plea and our hope. We need the Spirit first to convince us of our sin, to show us the ways we don't measure up. But then immediately we need to be led to Jesus' work, to his blood, to the cross 
where he put to death our inability and our frailty. And this is the secret love of God, that he creates the standard and that he provides a way out of that standard by the sacrifice of his son. If you're here this morning and you're not sure you're ready to make the claims of Christianity your own, or if you're here and you would and you do, um, I hope that you consider this. God, through his spirit and through the death of his son, provides a way for you. The spirit is with you and the spirit gives you Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, give us your spirit. Cause him to dwell in our hearts. Lord, help us to be open to the ways that you're at work in our world, in our, in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, cause us to be open to the ways that the spirit gives us Jesus. Lord, even when it is uncomfortable, even when uh, we're, we're confronted with our sin, Lord, we pray that you would uh, allow us to be open to that. Um, but then, Lord, to turn immediately to the cross and to know that uh, the blood of your Son has covered our sins, covered our inability and our frailty, um, and shows us what it looks like to live in this world as a Christian. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen.